computer's online. Archiving 44K. T minus 30 seconds. Server connection confirmed. T minus 25 seconds. show NSA doesn't want you to hear. Now here is your host, Leno Sanic. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Op Radio. This is your host, Leno Sanic. Today we are speaking to British researcher, author, Martin Hay. He has a new series of articles on Kennedys and King. Case closed. 30 years on, and it's all about uh, Gerald Posner's portrait of Lee Oswald from his book, his awful book, Case Closed. Hello, Martin. Hello, Len. How are you? Pleasure to speak to you again. And yeah, uh, thank you for having me on again. I like to promote good research, and some of the things uh, I think about the Kennedy assassination, I don't have a real vested interest in one or the other. I'm just wondering where the truth is, and if somebody mm-hmm. said... Uh, Lee did it, or if they said Alan Dulles or the Joint Chiefs of Staff or everybody in the Pentagon all said that guy's got to go. You just go, as an interested historian, what happened? And we're looking for what happened. Of course, the further we go into it, the least likely it is that it's Lee Oswald, a lone gunman. And then you see a group Mm -hmm. of people conspired to have Kennedy removed and then control the cover-up. And that's what's interesting. So if you wonder what's going on in the news today and you might not trust them, if you wonder what's going on in anything in COVID or or Ukraine or 9-11 or something, you go, can we really trust what they're telling us? And when you go back to the Kennedy assassination, you get a real education, I think, on what happened, and then what did they say happened? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it's an eye-opener. Yeah, like Gerald Posner trying to, you know, almost rewrite history. But I don't want to taint mm. it too much. Just to start with, what got you interested in Gerald Posner and, and writing about Lee Oswald? I think it was, it was, I'd seen a couple of pieces recently, or I'd say recently, probably over the last year or so. In, in sort of mainstream media outlets. I think The Independent was one and Variety was another, which were referencing, one of them was a, a review of, of JFK Revisited. And the guy was kind of, was bigging up Posner as, as a viable alternative to Oliver Stone. And I thought it was ludicrous that uh, 30 years later, anyone was still deferring to Gerald Posner. It was actually quite shocking, but also sort of amusing to think that uh, 30 years later and they haven't come up with anything better. <laughs> but then I, then I started thinking about the fact that it's the obviously the 60th anniversary this year. And I thought, well, if the mainstream media is still deferring to Posner, if they're still treating case closed as some sort of authoritative text on the assassination, then it seemed like the perfect time to go back, take a look at the book, and kind of and sort of re-emphasize 
some of the flaws that have been pointed out by previous reviewers, because there were some great reviews of Case Closed back in the 90s by everyone from sort of Harold Weisberg and David Rohn, Jim DiEugenio, Stuart Gallinor, lots of really good researchers wrote about Case Closed and pointed out many of the flaws, many of the sort of misrepresentations and outright falsehoods that are in the book. So I thought, well, I can re-emphasize some of that, maybe see if I can uncover a few nuggets of my own that other people might not have noticed. And then perhaps more importantly, try to compare what Posner was able to get away with saying 30 years ago with what is impossible to get away with today in light of what we know, thanks to either the AWRB or sort of private researchers or even the wider scientific community. So, you know, to have something out there now in time for the 60th, in case he does, we, you know, Posner shows his face everywhere in time for the anniversary, which I get the feeling is probably going to happen, then there'll be something fresh there for people to, to, to look at and be able to point to if it comes down to it. You said uh, absurd or something like that, just that the idea that somebody would take anything that Gerald Posner wrote. Seriously. Yeah. But that's the idea about propaganda and that. You just write something and, you know, a certain group of the population just believes it because they read it. Well, this guy wrote a book. He must have researched it. But Mm. it's astounding that they publish this kind of stuff. It is. And I've long thought that the book was definitely intended as kind of the establishment response to Oliver Stone's movie. When that came out in 91, obviously, that kicked off a whole thing. With a you know a lot of people suddenly the the debate being reignited in their imaginations, and obviously that led to the AWRB and like a call for all the all the documents, and I think they the the mainstream media, which obviously is a, the arm of the establishment, was uh, very much looking for someone to 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 rebut any claims of conspiracy, and uh, Posner was obviously the chosen guy. I'm not convinced myself that he wrote, I mean, I'm sure he wrote the final draft of the book. I wouldn't say I'm convinced that it's all his work in there. And I certainly don't believe that he did all of the research that went into this book, all the research he claims to have done anyway, because he said he was researching and writing it for two years. Well, even if you look at his bibliography with something like 70 books and articles, and then he claims to have studied all of the Warren Commission volumes, and the company and documents and the House Select Committee on Assassinations, and he references the trial transcripts for Jack Ruby, and, and, and there's another trial, I forget, the Clay Shaw trial, of course. So he claims to have studied all of this stuff and written this book in two years, which I think is impossible. I don't think that anyone could do that in two years. It just doesn't seem possible to me. So I, I, I think that his, a lot of his arguments were fed to him by, by someone else, certainly. And uh, like I say, his book was the book the establishment wanted, and that is exactly why it got the type of praise that no other book on this subject has ever had, the type of promotion that no other book on this subject has ever had. And, you know, led to him being on just about every chat show going and radio show and, yeah, and uh, get, put him a nice – an authority. You know, it's somebody uh, – you know, I've seen him many times on TV, and you go, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. It's mad. It's definitely mad. But yeah, I think he, I think he had someone behind him from the very beginning on this, definitely. And then, of course, the fact that he, he went from writing this to writing the awful book that he wrote on the the Martin Luther King case, kind of seals the deal for me. Well, 
the thing is that you could rightly call him an asset. And, it, you know, is it of um, the Department of Defense or you just wonder the, the big business of America that they don't want people to realize what kind of gang they've been running that we can't mm. let people know about we killed John Kennedy because then they'll know we killed Martin Luther King. Then they know we all removed Bobby Kennedy. And then you wonder how many other ones that we don't even know about because people have a certain amount of interest in this crime, John Kennedy, and like you say, Martin Luther King and even Bobby Kennedy. And then after that, you know, how much time do you have? But in, in these cases, there's quite a few people like from the very beginning uh, like you know the Mark Lanes or the Mae Brussels or Jim Garrison or Fletcher Prouty many people wrote about this and we were standing on the shoulders of giants right that people have gone through with um, some of those interviews that Mark Lane did on film with that Antonio um, I forget his last name but you know these these first person accounts of you know Mark went down there and interviewed witnesses so yeah, you, you get all these stories about what people really saw, and then with the Warren Commission. And the poverty of this, that they, they just want to keep putting money into like a Posner, you know, a paid liar that is going to misrepresent all the facts in it, or like the Sixth Floor Museum, you know, it's uh, the joke of it, where they, they don't want to say, here's what happened, and here's all the documents. Oh no, 60 years later, they're still clinging to documents, right? Yeah. And and we I, don't want and this I've... released. I do think that that was a big sort of mo motive behind Case Closed was like, obviously, whoever was behind it knew that all of these documents were going to be coming soon. And really, the thrust of, of Case Closed is, yeah, the Warren Commission got a few things wrong, but you don't need to worry about anything else because, look, I can show you that Oswald did it alone. Don't, don't look over there. Just look here. You know, that's exactly that's what the book exists to do, I think. Well, I have a low opinion uh, Posner or John McAdams or Gary Mack, mm. these guys that know better. It's one thing to have a, a valid disagreement about something. And, uh, you know, uh, people who hang out in the forums and the JFK research community know there's enough arguments about this or that, like um, uh, the Zapruder film, The Man in the Doorway, you know, and there's, uh, there's things that you can speculate on. Well, I don't think the car stopped. It slowed to a, almost a stop, but we, you know, then you go, well, the film could be altered you know what if they cut that out and then you know there's a, a debate going on on many things but i think mm -hmm. like the posner and the mcadams and, and like gary mack are a different category where they're they're fraud just a fraud it's like they're not interested in the truth and they're never wrong you know yeah i, I agree wholeheartedly okay let's let's get in you have at kennedy's and king part one to five and this is astounding yeah. that someone has gone through it. The only other time I can think of that is um, Jim DiEugenio did that, that great review of Bugliosi where he, you know, they're, they're going to make a film of that book. Thank God that thing flopped. It didn't turn into a movie. It turned into a miniseries and, and nobody took it seriously. But there's another guy that you know, he knows better. Mm. Like what, what, a, oh, yeah, definitely. what a waste of your life. It's one thing if you... if. There's a gray area, and you say, well, I'm, I'm going to take this side of the coin. I'm going to debate this, right? Here's my view. People read your view. I either agree or not, but the uh, – well, let me get into your – because I don't – people know what I think already. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. so let's talk about part one. Give us yeah. an overview of okay. part one, please. 
Yeah, well, obviously the first probably half of, of Case Closed is about Posner's quote-unquote biography of Lee Harvey Oswald. So it, it's, it's, I, I consider it like a very loyally trick, really. The idea is paint Oswald as the worst possible person, and that will make it easier later on to hide the fact that the the evidence against him is so um, underwhelming, shall we say. Um, if you can, it's much easier to accept that a really horrible, crazy, unhinged loner did it if, if you can convince people that that's exactly what Oswald was. But uh, it's, it's, it's achieved, like I say, in a very loyally fashion. It's, it's achieved by simply uh, quoting what's convenient and ignoring what isn't. And not just, you know, this person didn't like Oswald, so I'm going to use their testimony. This person did, so I'm going to ignore them. But literally just finding someone who had balanced things to say about Oswald and and uh, just, just, taking, just taking the negative stuff. I think uh, a perfect example of that is, is um, Robert, Os- uh, Lee's older brother, who I think most people who studied the, the, the subject for uh, any length of time probably knows that Robert is, I wouldn't say a champion of the, um, of the Warren Commission, but he certainly towed the line. Uh, but he made it clear in his testimony to the Warren Commission, that it was what he'd seen in the media and what he'd heard from being surrounded by the Dallas authorities. They'd convinced him that the uh, the circumstantial evidence was, you know, only only uh, indicative of of his brother's guilt. But at the same time, he testified and that Lee was. As far as he was concerned, a normal person in every way, and that he'd never known him to commit any acts of violence, and that he didn't know him to have any special interest in guns or to be a political malcontent or anything like that. He said that he didn't think that the Lee Harvey Oswald he knew would have killed anyone, and yet that quote somehow manages not to find its way into Posner's book because it's not convenient to him just ignores it entirely. And that's very much the methodology that's on display throughout the book. Because, yeah, Posner makes stuff up at times, but his biggest sin is probably the sin of of his omission and and bias, just cherry-picking what he likes. And he uses that quite successfully. If If you don't know the facts, then it's very easy to read that biography. And it's not a biography because at the end of the day, a biography is supposed to get to the bottom of who a person really is. You know, you, you present the good and the bad because no human being is all good and no human being is all bad. We all have our faults. We've all done things we're probably not proud of and things that we are proud of. And if someone just cobbles together all the bad stuff, then yeah, you can make it seem like someone is is simply a bad person. But I don't think... Whether, whether that's true of Oswald or not, and I'm sure he had his, his bad points, there were people who were friends with Oswald. You'd be forgiven for not thinking that from Posner's book. But there were people that had good things to say about him, and but none of it finds its way into the book. You know, It's just, I'll leave that bit out, because all I want to do is make Oswald seem like the worst person alive. I think it, I have a quote in the review from 
Walt Brown, where he says words to the effect that uh, Posner must have forgotten that he'd also written a biography of Joseph Mengali, you know, because he really does present Oswald as, as the worst of the worst. But yeah, it's just that is very much the thrust of the whole biography. He just he just finds the worst quotes he can and often takes them completely out of context, as he often does with um, Robert Oswald, but also uh, like Oswald's childhood friend, um, a boy named Edward, I think it's Vogel, who was his friend at junior high. And uh, according to Posner, Vogel said Lee was bitter and thought he had a raw deal out of life and he didn't like authority. And he tells of some story, I think, if I read it here, as Posner tells it, Vogel was startled when Oswald hatched a plan to steal a Smith & Wesson automatic from a local store. But to begin with, Vogel made it fairly clear that it, that was just silly kid stuff. It wasn't some startling plan on, on Oswald's part. It was just like a boy trying to impress other boys. And he also said that he didn't think that Oswald was a bitter person. He thought that he, you know, he, he had fond memories of Lee teaching him to play pool and uh, I think darts. And he said he liked him very much. He was, he had a lot in common with him. He was, he, and if he hadn't changed at all in the, in the intervening years, then he probably would have felt the same way about him when he was, when he was an adult. He didn't say that he thought Lee was bitter or that he, you know, thought the world owed him anything. He just happened to make a remark in one of his FBI interviews that if if this is what Oswald did, then this must have been what he became. But he didn't express that as his opinion of the Oswald that he knew. He just he just was, I guess, trying to figure it out. How did the boy that I know end up doing this, committing this crime? But, you know, Posner takes that completely out of context to make it seem as if Oswald's childhood friend had nothing but bad things to say about him, which is dead wrong, dead wrong. And it's just, it's so misleading. And it's, like I say, it's all playing into that loyally kind of trick of I'll hide what I don't like and I'll present what I do out of context because that suits the narrative that I'm trying to sell. You know, I just think it's, it's the, it's exactly the same methodology that he uses throughout the entire book. So he starts with an agenda on just how to slander the character of Lee Oswald and then mm. uh, slowly get into the crime where you already know he's a bad guy and uh, uh, nothing should surprise you. And of course, absolutely, nothing is further than the, than the truth. And I mean, he's the you know it's a rare thank God we have this on tape where he's being you know hauled down the hallway and he goes, "Look, I'm just a patsy." You know, this, these crimes you're talking about, I have nothing to do with that. And I think it's interesting when you see those clips that Oswald could, if you would expect that if he was this, this fanatic, if he really was the person that they try to make him out to be, you would expect that he would be there going, yes, I did it. And I did it because of this. This is my reason. You know, that's what these kind of guys do. They shout it from the hilltops. Why would he, Oswald, if his, it was his ambition, to go down in history. Why would he want to go down in history as somebody's patsy, as somebody's, you know, stooge? It just, it doesn't make sense. Nobody wants to be remembered that way. Just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense and it never did. 
So when you're reading the book, Case Closed, do you remember maybe one of the first one or two things that just jumped out that you thought this is just not true? This is total misrepresentation? <laughs> the problem with Case Closed really is this, I think it's about 450 pages long. And there are very few pages that don't have some something misleading or just flat out wrong on them. So, like, so the it's whole thing to, as a whole. Oh, absolutely. As a whole. I think it's just dishonest from cover to cover. And it, it's hard to – like when I was writing the review, I thought to myself, what, what, are, the, what are the things I need to include? Because you couldn't possibly include everything because it's just – it would be, you know, it would be a whole book by itself. And I and as it turned out, I wrote about 40,000 words, which is probably far too much anyway. Um, but if I tried to include everything, it would be a book that would be twice the size of case closed, you know. So you kind of sit there and you go, okay, well, what, what are the things that are most important to include? And that that's always tricky because, of course, everybody has their own idea about what's most important. I guess that's probably the reason why there are multiple people on a jury, right? Because everybody's struck differently by the facts and the evidence and, and the items in front of them. So I just had to go with, you know, what I knew to be to be flat out wrong or what it seemed to me was most likely to lead uh, readers in the wrong direction. But it, it, that's a that's a trick. It is difficult to figure out what exactly do I need to respond to, you know? Yeah, so there wasn't one whopper. It was just, you know, that's wrong, that's wrong. Or or it's this gray area. Well, you, you've picked the wrong side or you've, you've left out what, uh, the good things that Robert Oswald said, or the or the things that we said. Well, he's just an average guy. He didn't, you know, he wasn't violent. He didn't have a history of this, and you know, and and all that stuff's left out. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Let's get on to chapter two then, uh, part two, and which is um, Oswald weapons and the Walker shooting. Give us an overview of that. Certainly, yeah. Uh, the the thing with the, obviously the weapons. Um, Oswald ordering the weapons is since case closed was written. Obviously, there's some much better research into into the purchases of the weapons by um, by John Armstrong. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anybody go into quite as much detail as he did about the actual, you know, what what uh, documentation should be in existence if Oswald really did order these weapons. So that's that's a great thing to be able to to be able to look at today that we didn't have in 1993. Definitely. And, you know, there, there's definite holes. I, I don't know what my personal, I don't have a belief one way or the other as to whether Oswald did really order those weapons. But I think you certainly could cast doubt on it. Well, I would say this, that from the paper trail of, you know, the checks and when he would have to mail or and, and just even the order, the post, you know, the picture of the rifle and then what he did get, it, it doesn't at all prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he did that. And then because I'm suspect of so many other things, then you ask, well, what if he didn't even order them? You know, like what Absolutely. if the clients or they don't have any the bullets or so if somebody else ordered it in his name or in the name of AJ Hadell, and that could that have happened? And that's what makes me think, Oh, I could see this, you know, and you know, you can't believe the Warren Commission and you can't believe um, Posner, right? But uh, Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, and, go and ahead. I, tend, I tend to think that the fact that there they, they should have been signatures 
for when he collected these items and that these signatures should have been retained, that they were conveniently missing by the time the FBI caught up with the post office. You know, that to me is indicative of some help at, at the very least that yeah. somebody else picked up those weapons, you know? Right. And, and, uh, and, and just in, in ordering it and you trace the money order and it doesn't have the proper stamp, you know, when it was cashed and, and just so many things that John Armstrong went through. All those would lead you to investigate further. Well, if Lee didn't do this, then who did that? And is this the, the yeah. fingerprints of the intelligence community? Absolutely. And Posner, like most other lone nut people, uh, hides it all. You know, it's not there. There's no, there is no question about it. He writes it matter-of-factly. He even writes a date for when Oswald supposedly picked up the items even though there's no evidence of a date on which Oswald picked up the items. And his own source for that assertion, uh, which is Marina and Lee, the book by Priscilla Johnson McMillan, doesn't say what he says it, what he says it does. It only says it, it's her own speculation, and she admits that it's speculation as to when Oswald picked up the weapons. But Posner takes that source and turns it into a certainty. And again, that's very much indicative of the methodology that's on display throughout the book. We'll keep going. And by the way, I'm urging everyone to go to Kennedy's and King and read these reviews, you know, for themselves. We're just you mm. know, Martin's here just giving an overview, but it's just point after point that you chip away at saying he's misrepresented this, he's omitted that. Here's what we know now that completely leaves this as a, a total fraud and further a lie because some of the things Posner had to know, you know. And, uh, oh, absolutely, just, absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, it was no secret, even in, in 1993, when when he wrote the book. It was, I mean, if we move on to the uh, Walker killing for for a second, it was no secret that uh, Walker himself had objected when he saw the bullet being shown on telly that was supposedly recovered from his uh, home. He had contacted the the uh, House Select Committee and said, "That's not the bullet that was recovered from my home." The bullet that was recovered from my home didn't look anything like one. And, of course, this is a man who knows a thing or two about firearms, right? You know? And he's, so he, he objected strongly and he even started a campaign to have them withdraw, withdraw the substituted bullet. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but, like I say, that was no secret in 1993. And somehow it didn't make its way into Posner's book, you know. Right. So here's Walker didn't believe that uh, Lee Oswald was shooting against him and thought that there would be fabricated evidence going into this to try to blame him for it. You know? Well, he believed, as, as I understand it, he never disagreed with the notion that Oswald did it. He just saw the, the evidence that was presented on TV and thought, well, that's not right, because he was there when they dug, you know, this mangled bullet out of his wall and held it in his hands that night. So he knew what it looked like. And uh, then when he saw them displaying a bullet on, on television, in, you know, before before the Congressional Committee, that didn't look anything like it. He thought, well, this isn't right. You know, fair play to him. He, he made a fuss about it. Right. But then you can draw from that, well, if they're lying about this, what else are they lying about? You know, and to me, it's Ab like, absolutely. actually, you, you, nobody places Lee Oswald there. I think the only... Uh, a boy said he saw two men and, and, and a car drive away, and if Lee didn't drive... You know what I mean? It's just the whole thing yeah. is fraud after fraud. Or, mm. you know, in the case of Posner, just, well, if, if nobody's going to know the facts, they'll just take my word for it. And it's just like, you know, take my word for it, take my word for it, right? 
Absolutely. And that and that whole Walker shooting story is really like when it comes down to it, is is reliant on the testimony of Marina Oswald. And could you really find a more unreliable witness than Marina? I mean, her stories were so divergent that so she told so many different stories that didn't jibe with one another that to even consider her remotely reliable is just you know laughable she and 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 I don't want to I don't want to attack marina because I think you know that there's a woman who was in an incredibly tricky position you know she didn't want to go back to russia but she was being threatened with being deported and we know that from the testimony of a couple of different people uh, she was being threatened with being sent back to Russia, so she she did what they wanted her to do, you know. And and uh, I found a nice little quote from an interview that she gave in the late eighties um, to the Ladies Home Journal, where she said, uh, "I didn't realize how they led me. I think the Warren Commission used me as a spokesman to advance their theory of a single gunman, because it comes out stronger. After all, the wife knows. I buried him." I was introduced as a witness and I became his executioner. And I thought, wow, that's about as eloquently put as, as, as it could be, you know. She she was used and she knows she was used. And although Marina's never admitted to telling any lies, because I do think she's accustomed somewhat to uh, playing the victim, if you like. Well, we don't know what the pressure she was under of maybe being deported. Exactly. Exactly. It's it, you've got you've got to be you've got to be understanding about it. Like I say, that woman was one in one. She was lonely. She didn't really have any friends apart from Ruth Payne, if if we consider Ruth Payne oh, to be a friend. Oh yeah, think of that. Eh? <laughs> no, but the one yeah. quote that I like, um, where that I bring up is that I listened to her because I I posted on Black Op Radio one time. Uh, all the people, a lot of a lot of testimony from the HSCA. House Select Committee mm-hmm. assassination, and when she's getting grilled by somebody, and it's and he's you know it's getting a little uneasy, she stops and she goes, "I forgot what I was supposed to say." <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, oh it's, my goodness! Right, they already briefed you. They told you say this till that, and that you know instead of telling the truth about something, she said, "Look, I, I forgot what I was supposed to say." And, and yeah, and and was your and quote, the funny thing about quote, yeah. Yeah, I think the the funny thing about reading her testimonies is like, as soon as the uh, questions get a little more, more in depth and a little trickier for her, she suddenly starts to have memory lapses. You know, oh, I don't remember. I can't quite recall that. You know, um, which is funny because every other time she seems to know, you know, the time and date. But as soon as it's something that's that's tricky or that might trip her up, all of a sudden she she doesn't remember. Okay, so we have this dubious story to to put Lee Oswald in shooting Walker, and he, you know, miraculously. Well, it gets get... worse. It gets worse than that, I think, oh, okay, because sure. he then, because then he, uh, Posner then repeats the the story about him supposedly having designs on Richard Nixon, which is a story that even the Warren Commission didn't buy, but he presents it as if you know, as if it's written in stone. And it's crazy. The story makes absolutely no sense. It relies on Marina to somehow hold Oswald in the bathroom until he calms down, because that was her story. He he grabbed a pistol, and he was on his way out to shoot Nixon, and she tricks him into the bathroom, and then she holds the door shut. And it's like, well, does the door lock from the inside or the outside? Because most bathrooms lock from the inside, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I, I overpowered him because, you know, I'm stronger than he is. And yet, you know, and, and Posner quotes her saying that. 
and in like th- for two or three chapters before, he's he's detailing all these beatings that that Leah supposedly given her, and it's like, well, where was her ability to overpower him then? You know, it's just it's ridiculous. It's an utterly ridiculous story, made all more all the more ridiculous by the fact that as the Warren Commission found out, Nixon wasn't anywhere near Dallas when she claimed that the incident took place. Yeah, it's like it's one unbelievable thing after another. Like, <laughs> it really is, yeah. Yeah. To, oh, you know, thank God that Marina stopped another assassination attempt, right? Or Nixon would have been gone, you know. Oh. Yeah, and and you know, it, it's it, the funny thing about it as well is like if you look at General Walker and uh, Nixon, you might say that some of their politics are quite similar, but you wouldn't put Kennedy on 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 the same side, would you? I mean, like, they're completely different people. And there aren't many political assassins that uh, apparently have designs on both sides of the debate. <laughs> okay, again, a little further down, we go into Oswald in New Orleans. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's probably the most fascinating time in Oswald's life, isn't it? It's the time when we can clearly put him in, in, the, uh, in the company of, of people who are associated with the CIA and, you know, doing what must have been uh well what was a phony chapter of the of the fair play for cuba committee and what clearly seems to be designed as as a campaign to embarrass that organization and of course now we know thanks to uh, guys like uh, john newman um that uh, and i think uh oh what's his name that runs the jfk fact site jeff morley we know an awful lot more now there's so many so many great documents out there about the the organizations that Oswald was um, seen with, like the DRE and and their ties to the CIA. And we know that they were involved in propaganda. And, of course, we know that Oswald was supposedly seen in the uh, company of David Atlee Phillips, who was running uh, an anti-FPCC campaign. So it all kind of ties together really nicely. And you can see, you can make a, a strong case that Oswald was working, whether he was um, like a, a witting Asian or whether he was being used by someone without realizing it, we'll probably never know. I, I tend to think that uh, if Oswald was, you know, a paid agent of the CIA, there'd be there'd be some kind of paper trail somewhere, you know. We'd be able to demonstrate, I think it was Harold Weisberg that once said he'd, he'd gone over Oswald's finances with a fine-tooth comb and just couldn't find any extra money, couldn't find any any reason to believe he was being paid by anyone. Um, so exactly what Oswald's status was, we'll never know, but he certainly appears to be involved in something that was designed to embarrass the FPCC. And there's no doubt that the people that he was in contact with during that summer were people he, who would supposedly be diametrically opposed to him, you know, politically. You know, guys like David Ferry, Clay Shaw, and uh, Guy Bannister. I mean, these are not communists or Marxists. These are not Castro sympathizers. These are these are very very right wing people, you know. And uh, it, it's an absolutely fascinating. Um, areas. I spent a lot of time looking over. There. I mean, there are people that know the New Orleans aspect and the Garrison investigation a lot better than I do, but I spent a lot of time on it, and uh, it, it's fascinating. And you wouldn't, again, you wouldn't know that from reading Case Closed. Well, you you get the fingerprints of the intelligence community everywhere, especially when they they try to tie him. Uh, I mean, when you get into um, 
Clay Shaw, and uh, and you know that he was uh, Lee was in a phony defector program, and you know they usually just keep going. Well, what's they up to now? Well, what's he up to now? Or, or they're moving him around, um, you know, on a chessboard, you know, like, like a pawn, and he's just here, he's there. I mean, even getting that job at, at the Riley Coffee Company, then you look into the background of it, and yeah, yeah. And they're they're all tied tied to Guy Bannister, Clay Shaw, David Ferry. Yeah. I mean, and and Lee Oswald. And Lee's no ringleader of that group. So absolutely, he's being played. You know, or a foot soldier in some something else among other people may have been right, because he wasn't the only uh, phony defector. I mean, they had a whole program of trying to send people over there and and see how. How did they treat defectors, you know, and, and anything they could learn about the Soviet Union at the time? And then come back and be briefed. And then come back and bring a, a Russian bride and also get money from the State Department to come back. And uh, what's the guy's name? Raken? That, uh, yep, something like that. Yeah, something Raken or something weird. Yeah, Raken, but anyway, yeah. yeah, just the whole thing. These are not absolutely uh, things that he instigated and brought up and, you, you know, like... Uh, you know any kind of thing he thought of on his own. He was, no, no he was into definitely something not. else. And but you, like you say, if you read Posner, you would never know that. You would never get the idea of something bigger was going on all around him. No, and and you know Posner's book is all about denying that any of these these connections exist. You know he, he says with a straight face that that Oswald didn't know David Ferry, and I think. I don't see how anyone could maintain that position today. And, of course, Posner himself was embarrassed. I think it was the same year that the book came out. It might have been the following year when he did a, a TV show, uh, PBS, I think it was, TV show, Who Was Who was Lee Harvey Oswald? And they got him on camera saying, oh, yeah, they, they, they never knew each other. David Ferry and, and Lee Oswald were in the Civil Air Patrol at a completely different time. And then seconds later, they flash up a photo that, that the famous black and white photo showing, you know, Oswald and a bunch of other cadets with David Ferrier at, at, at a CAP barbecue, you know, talk about having egg on your face. I think that's awesome. That was brilliant. In one way, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not against David Ferry or Lee or anybody. I just want to know what happened and what are the facts. And that's what's so interesting about a hack like Posner that he's not interested at all in what really happened. He's just waving, uh, waving a flag of uh, America, but go back to sleep. Uh, we'll tell you what happened. And, uh, Absolutely, and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll character assassinate or belittle anyone who tries to, to dig deeper. And just, you know, the fact that, think about this, 60 years later, they don't want you to know uh, what documents they have on this, right? Mm-hmm. 60 yeah. years, and they're still fighting tooth and nail to, to keep the stuff hidden. Yeah. I mean, if there's nothing to hide, they'd, they'd be out in the public, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, that's what Robert Kennedy Jr. has been going around saying as he's, you know, the CIA killed my uncle. And it's yeah, kind of yeah. a breath of fresh air. And, and uh, in one breath, you go, oh, oh <laughs> you might be next because they just do not want the truth. And, of course, they'll spend billions and billions around the world trying to spread democracy. And yet... um at home, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a fraud. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I don't know if, if RFK Jr. is doing himself any favors, really, as much as, um, you know, I think we probably all sympathize with his viewpoint and probably agree to it to some extent. I think uh, he, 
<laughs> he's got to bear in mind the kind of power that these people have and and how unlike if he's really going to run for for the presidential you know if he's going to run for the presidency then uh, <laughs> he probably doesn't want the media against him you know well, yeah, in some circles they're calling him a crackpot. Uh, they're not even including him. I mean, it's one thing. It's so funny with this latest uh, revelations about the FBI having no evidence at all of Russian collusion, yet they just went on with it and they talked about it on and on. I know this is a different topic, but I almost think uh, it'd be refreshing if Trump got in there and fired a lot of them and said, start, <laughs> start over, you know. Um, don't, don't you find it rather amusing that uh, that Robert Kennedy is being called a crackpot, but Trump's okay. <laughs> he made it to the White House. And... Yeah, yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. Um, all those people who are running when I was watching the Republican or Democratic, um, um, you know, uh, leadership campaigns, I, I just looked at all of them and thought, you know, this is the best that, you know, some country has to offer. I mean, it's just, it's pathetic. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's kind of like when if somebody was to say none of the above, that's what you could go, except for Robert Kennedy, right? Except for yeah. uh, a few people. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about that too much. We'll, we'll talk for hours. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. just the fact that uh, you find out that Posner is kind of the face of FBI, the CIA, and all that. We, we want to tell this lie. We have to you know um contracted out to somebody so here's the guy you may not know about there's another guy um um max what's his name um there's there's several holland. Max, well, max, max holland, holland yeah. but that's not the one i was thinking of uh the guy was ah. writing about lansdale um you know just, oh uh, yeah, yeah sorry the name's yeah. gone but i know who you mean good yeah. good that we can't remember his name because that you know <laughs> yeah. uh, those are the guys that really are the crackpots that, you know, they're, they're not writing and honest. I mean, I remember one time Fletcher uh, Prouty talking to me about different magazines or, or publishers who write stuff and they go, you know what, if a guy has a different idea about gravity, publish the book, let him print the book and then let people read the book and decide if they like it or not. You know, don't go after publishers as saying, why did you print this book or why did you print that book? Let the ideas go out, let the public read them and then say i agree with this or i don't agree with that and i i like that right um yeah absolutely. i remember he was That's... talking about the origins of oil or something like this you know and and you know sometimes there's these um uncomfortable uh history that you have to kind of undo and say hey, I've, we've dug you know it didn't happen this way we've dug into it right and um mm. You know, I think in that case, it was uh, somebody said, are we really running out of oil or not, right? And it says, let the guy publish the book, and then uh, if people can pick it apart. But here's the thing, like with um, Posner's book, he published the book, but it's, uh, you, you, you're you making the point that you can't even, the lies, there's so many that they're almost on every page that... Um, yeah, uh, the the... The the New Orleans chapters are, or chapter is 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 one of the one of the most blatant I think for it's like denialism as much as anything but there's some deliberate falsehoods in there. If I'll give you an example, there's um, there was an incident where Oswald was seen handing out leaflets outside the the trademark there in New Orleans, 
and he had two people with him. And so obviously what Posner is desperate to have, Oswald have no companions, no friends, no one's involved with him in this. So he makes up this whole story about how Oswald had gone to the unemployment office, picked up two people and uh, and paid them $2 to come and, and uh, distribute leaflets with him. Now, it was true of one of the two people he was talking about, but Posner claims that, that – uh, I'll read the quote to you. He says, uh, one of the youngsters who helped Oswald was later identified as Charles Hall Steele Jr. The other unemployed helper was never identified, although Steele testified the man volunteered from the unemployment line the same as he had. That is a complete fabrication. Steele never said that. In fact, he made it absolutely clear that he was on his own when Oswald picked him out of the unemployment line and that this other person, who he said was Cuban-looking, was already with Oswald when he himself arrived at the trademark to hand out the leaflets. So Posner just completely made that story up just so he can hide the fact that Oswald had a companion that no one was ever able to identify. Yep, fraud after fraud. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to go through this. I don't think I read the whole book. I might have read like into the first chapter or I got given to me and uh oh what a what a fraud. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Then it goes on goes on to um Mexico City. Let's talk a little bit about that. Because I don't yeah, think Lee well, went to Mexico City. But imposters I did. Yeah, I mean I I I have my doubts. I think uh I think uh, it was probably I think the first book that I remember reading early on that gave me doubts about the whole Mexico City story was uh, Mark Lane's Plausible Denial. And uh, I've always kind of suspected since reading that that uh, Lee never really did go to Mexico. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's no doubt that, that he was impersonated while he was there. Um, whether he went there himself or not, obviously, if he didn't, then we've got to wonder where he was during that time. I I think it's very likely that he did turn up at at Sylvia Odio's apartment and, uh, you know, where someone was clearly trying to paint him as the would-be assassin of President Kennedy then. But, uh, yeah, with with everything that we have today, Posner's treatment of, of Mexico City just looks beyond a joke. I mean, it didn't look great then. But, of course, now we have the Lopez report uh, it's been declassified. I think there's still an annex to it that's that's not. That, I could be wrong about that, but I think there's still a part of that report that's not been made public. Um, still, but, uh, but people have spoken to Eddie Lopez, right? And um, uh, you know, they they know those guys were trying to find out the truth, and you can see yeah. how they were they were attacked or shut down. I think they had to go on their holiday time without telling anyone, right? <laughs> yeah, I saw some. They uh, Dan Hardware and and Eddie Lopez both did some great talks at some at uh, some symposiums a few years back. Uh, they were very very valuable. Yeah, I, I, I have had them on Black Op Radio too, just to say yeah. that. That and then you realize that when George Joannidis is in charge of everything, holy shit! But um, the thing is, the more that. Um, a guy like Posner writes where he thinks Oswald was. He almost could make the conclusion, oh, he was somewhere else then. Because if he's saying, un- you know, categorically, you kind of hear that, you know, Lee was here. It's like I'm beginning to doubt uh, where the hell he was, right? And, and uh, you know. Uh, 
Absolutely. And, and you know, again... And the, the phony does... bus, sorry to interrupt, just the, the phony records about the trip, you know, these two girls, I think, from Australia, whatever, and the baggage tags, claims, and this and all that, and the bus route, whatever, they're all, it's all fraudulent. Yeah, I think, again, I think that's another area that John Armstrong researched really well, probably better than most. Um, I'm not... Uh, I'm not in agreement with John Armstrong's overall thesis about two Oswalds at yeah. all, but the, nonetheless, no, that's the very book good. has got... Just what we were talking about earlier, how people in the research community could have a disagreement. And uh, I don't subscribe to everything John writes, but I sit down to coffee with him and it's no problem at all. And many times he says to me, okay, well, look, if I'm in error, just show me where I'm wrong, show me where I'm wrong. And then meanwhile, he's looked at all these documents and that's what g gives him uh, one credibility that he just brings up all the, this evidence he's one of the few people that have gone everywhere and says here are the records now how can somebody be here and then there you know at two places at the same mm. time and even a third person and who's signing for these records to rent jeeps or whatever you know what i mean there's just there's so much of it that his conclusion is that there was two people for me, I'm much more comfortable saying, well, there's Lee Oswald and an imposter. And as soon as you just yeah. leave it like a little enigmatic, like, well, there's somebody, uh, you know, in his name doing things. I mean, how, how was there somebody in the balcony and the lower level and who was taken out the back alley, uh, you know, of the book of the theater? You know what I'm talking about. Just, you know, there's yeah. enough of these things that you go, well, something's up. And, and John has written a book and said, well, here's my view of it. But uh, yeah. he's one of the few people that I, uh, I don't have any, you know, I can, I can listen to a contrary conclusion and go, well, I don't think I subscribe to that, but I see what you're, you're saying and, and that's very good and you've done good work. It's just going to take me a while to, you know, to climb on board with that. But he, he yeah, doesn't yeah, get I mad. Mean, a lot of other people, if you don't agree with their point of view, they get their back up and it's, you know, it's on. <laughs> Yes, I, I've experienced that a few times from 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 a number of researchers. When you tell them, "Well, actually, I don't believe that. That's not that's not that's not a theory I'm in agreement with," and then all of a sudden, uh, you're you're enemy number one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's happened to me more than a few times. But I, yeah, like like you say with John, and I think Jim DeEugene has said many times, it, it doesn't really matter whether you agree with his conclusions or not. The fact of the matter is, is there's such a depth of research to that book. And, of course, he includes a CD-ROM that's got loads of documents on it, you know, so he can show that he's not making any of this up. He's, 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 he's found the documents and he's presenting them to you. you. You don't have to agree with his conclusions, but you've got to admire the amount of research he's done. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but I just went to Hawaii to visit him about a month ago, and uh, we laid down a six-hour interview. And I'm just oh, wow. putting that to video now. And even... Someone who's like myself, I've uh, I learned a couple of things that were jaw dropping, you know, not hundreds, but three mm. or four things that went, oh my God, this is another break at the case wide open, and um, of course over four hours or so, um, you know, I knew this, I knew that, I know, and then I didn't know that. Are you sure? Here's the documents. Wow. So I have several of those that. Um, um, we're getting ready. I mean, before I, in 2013, I made 50 reasons for 50 years. And for this, mm. the 60th, I'm thinking of doing something. Uh, and I'm not just quite sure how we're going to chop all this up um, for John. But uh, yeah, 
and uh, even that sounds good. Yeah, I I meet I met with them several times, and it's just uh, like you said. If you don't agree with somebody, it's 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 such a shame that people get their backs up, but there's a, um, yeah, they don't, and it must be like that I, in all in all you know areas of research and that. But you know, my way is yeah. Right. Do you know you know, I think I understand it because it's a passionate subject, right? You know, and everyone wants to uh, contribute to it, and everyone wants to uncover the truth. And I think it's very difficult for someone once they've once they've committed themselves to something. Like it's very difficult to 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 give up on it, you know. I understand that a hundred percent. But I try not to. I I don't do chat chat rooms. I don't do you know forums and things anymore because I don't really see the value to it. You just end up getting into snipey little yeah. Well, arguments. half the time I think it's people who are I hate to say this that are just you know trolls and they're either paid to go in there and and sit around. And start arguing. I mean, some of the forums. I don't want to get into it, but I'm, I've, I've, you know, had arguments with uh, the guys that run it. It's like you, you have to ban these people with phony accounts. You know, here's one guy who writes, "Hey, you're doing a good job," and then another guy says, "Yeah, you're right," and, and another guy says, "These guys are all dumb." And you find out it's the same guy using three different <laughs> accounts. You know, patting himself on the back and all that. And those people have to be banned. You can use your real yeah. name. And then if you if you don't agree with somebody, um, you know you, you just uh, wonder how they have the time in the day to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. Let's get going because we've we've talked about Mexico City. We've talked about quite a few things. Let's go to I think part three, which is Oswald and the paper bag, and uh, this whole you know curtain rods and all this stuff. It's so to me almost pointless. Right. If Lee didn't do it, if he's a patsy, all this other stuff, you know, uh, I can't believe somebody goes to write about it. But, you know, quickly give an overview of what you think of all this. Well, that's another instance. I mean, that's that's the story that's uh, been going since the Warren Commission that Oswald sneaked the rifle in in the bag, obviously, and that Fraser and his sister and his sister, Linny May. Uh, saw Oswald with the bag, but the the fact of the matter is that it's always their testimony has been corroborated pretty much since day one. There is a, a I think it's an FBI interview of Lily May supposedly from the twenty second of November, in which she's alleged to have said that the the, the package Oswald was carrying was three and a half feet, um, but it's an unsigned document and. Uh, I, I doubt the veracity of it, to be honest, because in all of her testimonies and in every other statement she ever get, gave, she was adamant that uh, it was only just over two feet. And the fact of the matter is that uh, the way she described Oswald carrying it and the way her brother described Oswald carrying it, it would have been possible to carry had it been you know, three and a half feet or anywhere near big enough to contain the rifle. And I, I know that uh, some people, and I think Jim DiGenio is one of them, think the whole story is a bit of a distraction and that uh, Fraser was sort of uh, pressured into into making up the, the whole story of the paperback. I don't believe that personally. I think I've seen enough sort of interviews with, with Fraser um, that he comes across as an honest person. I think he was like, obviously, as I'm sure you know, he was arrested 
uh, on the day of the assassination, and uh, they were sort of threatening to make him an accomplice um, because he drove Oswald to work supposedly with the rifle. Uh, but I, I think it strained credulity to suggest that all these years later he'd still be in fear of of the Dallas police. Now, in fact, he, I believe he wrote a book last year. Um, I haven't read it, uh, but I did see a little talk that he did with the uh, Sixth Floor Museum, and it was it, it was it was fascinating. And he does he's he does seem to me like like a genuine guy, and he was absolutely adamant. That what that Oswald couldn't have carried the rifle into the building because whatever he had with him, he saw him tuck it under his arms. He got out of the car and he saw him walk. He was walking behind him. He couldn't even see that he was carrying anything, which would have been absolutely impossible if that if that had been the rifle, you know. So what was Oswald carrying? Was it curtain rods? I mean, you you could get stuck down that rabbit hole. I don't think it's worth it. No one bothered to search the depository for curtain rods until or anything like that for for months after the assassination and uh, what a lot of people don't appreciate is that uh, there was a storage area um, as as from the entrance that they used there was a, a storage area to the depository where there was bins and stuff and uh, Oswald could have easily just dropped whatever he was carrying there with the intention of picking up later in the day you know but he, he, he couldn't have carried the, the rifle in not in that bag That that's it's just not possible. And it's 100% of the evidence, as far as I'm concerned, is, is against it. But uh, what Posner does is he, he uh, combines the testimony of um, Fraser and his sister to make it appear as if what uh, you know Oswald was carrying, a long, bulky package big enough to contain the rifle. Because, as I say, Fraser saw Oswald carrying it tucked under his arm and cupped in his hand. Whereas Linny May saw him at a different time of day carrying it by the top with the end sort of dangling down by his side. Now, of course, that would have been impossible if it was three, you know, three and a half feet long because Oswald, unless Oswald had arms like a T-Rex, it would have been utterly impossible. Um, but uh, Posner just combines their two statements to say that Linny May saw Oswald carrying a long package parallel to his body. He held one end of the brown paper wrap object tucked under his armpit, and the other end did not touch quite touch the ground. Well, that's that's combining the two stories to to make the package longer, which again is a perfect example of what Posner does. He he just he he just misrepresents everything in front of him to fit his preconceived narrative. Yeah, a preconceived story of, uh, well, if he shot, he must have had a rifle. How did he get the rifle in there? He must have carried it in. Somebody must have seen him. Oh, yeah, we'll make this guy say he, he saw him. And, uh, oh, it was in a paper bag. That's why nobody, you know, I mean, the whole thing is, yeah. But the fact that yeah. Posner goes on and on saying this is how it happened. No, it didn't happen like that. And uh, and Lee didn't shoot him. So, you know. No, exactly. And, you know, the, the, thing that, the other thing that I, I didn't put in the review, but that people need to bear in mind as well is that the, the story is that Oswald took the paper and the tape from the depository with him back to Ruth Payne's house on the Thursday night and constructed the bag when he got there to fit the rifle. Except that Frazier has said many times that Oswald was carrying nothing with him when he went back to Irving that evening. 
So he couldn't have taken the, the, the paper and the tape. And he couldn't have taken the tape anyway, because as I understand it, as it came out of the machine, it was automatically, uh, it was it, it was wet as it came out of the machine. So it was automatically sticky. And uh, he would have had to have constructed the bag. Oh, yeah. The, the, the lie work. just gets more unbelievable as yeah. you look into it, right? What the hell, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a crazy story. But he, it's just, it's what the Warren Commission did to try and make it stick. And, and you know, Posner really is just repeating it. It's not the, They're not original lies by him so much, apart from combining the two testimonies of, of Fraser and Randall. Right. Well, this is uh, the next bit you get into, which is um, saying what happened on the sixth floor and people who, who must have seen him up there. And then, you know, if you contrast that with, well, he was never on the sixth floor, um, you start to critically look at the different witnesses and 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 why don't you just go over that a little bit because that in itself is um certainly yeah that that there is there's no reliable witness to put oswald on on the sixth floor that day uh the the two witnesses that that posner uses are charles givens and bonnie ray williams who supposedly uh, bonnie ray uh originally said as i recall that he saw oswald um down on the first floor somewhere around about 11 30 uh filling orders you know which was his job uh and then when uh, when they broke for lunch um he left the sixth floor by the elevator and saw that oswald, at that time oswald was on the fifth floor and uh the, charles givens said much the same thing in one of his earlier statements but they both supposedly uh, I think I'm not sure that Bonnie Ray ever did change his story, to be honest, because he once he was uh, before the Warren Commission, they confronted him with a, an FBI statement in which he was supposedly said he'd seen Oswald on the sixth floor at some point, but he wouldn't commit himself to it. And I have a feeling that that was something that the uh, FBI made up. And uh, Bonnie Ray Williams probably, you know, being being it's the it's the 60s and he's a black man in the south he probably was feeling a lot more pressure than most witnesses and i don't think he wanted to just come out and say you know what the fbi made that up but uh the, the gist of his 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 testimony is well i don't think i really did see that you know whereas charles gibbons on the other hand um i think he he was he'd previously been in trouble and uh, there was a police detective who said, "Yeah, he's the kind of guy who would who would fabricate a story for money." So you know, his 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 account changed over time. He went from not seeing Oswald to seeing Oswald downstairs to seeing him on the sixth floor. You know, uh, but totally unreliable because you know, like I say, his story just grew and changed over time. But if you take those two guys out of the equation. There is no no witness that can put Oswald on the sixth floor. The only guy that that ever gets talked about and one that, that Posner tries to big up is Howard Brennan, who's on the street opposite the depository, who, who later claims that he could identify Oswald as the guy firing at Kennedy. And yet, when he went to the police station that night, you couldn't pick him out of a lineup. You know, so how reliable is he? Not very. And I, I think uh, I. At some point in time, a few well, a few years back, I'd uh, stumbled across a bunch of stuff about Howard Brennan and how he uh, had avoided 
uh, testifying for the HSCA, which I thought was really fascinating because they they'd obviously thought, right, okay, we need to speak to this guy because he's the only only witness we have that claims to have seen the gun firing and he, he supposedly can identify Oswald. So let's let's get him before the committee. But he absolutely he fought tooth and nail not to appear. You know they subpoenaed him and it, he uh, he never did appear before the committee. And to to my mind, is indicative of of guilt on his part. I, I think he uh, he didn't want to get get before Congress and 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 repeat the lies. Yeah, it's uh, it's all interesting. But uh, yeah, the more Posner uh, insists something is true, that it's almost the opposite is true. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, he ignores. He ignores all the problems with the evidence. And this is one of the things that has always made me laugh about guys like um, Bugliosi and uh, there's a British researcher named Mel Iton who wrote a book with David Von Payne uh, that I've reviewed a few years back called, uh, I think it was called Beyond Reasonable Doubt. And and these guys claim that, that you know, all the confusion around the Kennedy assassination. It's a simple case and it's obvious that Oswald did it. But the, all, all the confusion has been, been created by the conspiracy theorists. And it's like ridiculous because anyone can see, any fool can see that all of the confusion and contradictions in the evidence were created by the people that had the responsibility of investigating it. And, you know, I include a few bits in here about how badly ha- handled the evidence was. As an example, the, uh, the rifle shells that were supposedly found on the sixth floor um, may not even be the shells that were found on the sixth floor. Uh, the, to begin with, uh, as a, there was a deputy sheriff who saw Captain Fritz uh, of the Dallas Police pick the shells up before they were photographed, and then chuck them back down on the floor. So they weren't lying in the in the crime scene photographs. They're not lying as they were found or allegedly found. And then Lieutenant Day comes along, and uh, puts them in an envelope and uh, gives them to someone else to take to police headquarters. He gets them later on that evening, and there's now only two uh, shells in the envelope, and he hasn't initialed them, and he can't account for the fact that one of them's missing. And there's just no chain of custody for those shells whatsoever. So to to try to blame conspiracy theorists, for that type of mishandling of the evidence uh, by the Dallas police is absurd. And it's the, the, the case against Oswald is absolutely rife with that sort of thing. Yeah, once again, uh, almost every piece of evidence is uh, not trustworthy. Like you see the shells, uh, where were they, how many, are they even the same shells that were found that day, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I, I can't imagine that there are many cases where you, so many pieces of evidence could have been probably had Oswald gone to trial and uh, the judge had followed the, the law and the rules of evidence correctly. There are so many pieces of evidence that you would imagine would have been excluded. Yeah, that it, that it boggles the mind. That I, I often think about is, um, well, I didn't say it that way, but anyway, um, as was the car was driving by, one of the people in the car said, well, you could smell gunfire in the air. Now, if a mm. shot was coming from the sixth floor, you wouldn't have been able to smell gunpowder uh, down in the plaza. 
No, you wouldn't have thought so, and especially considering the wind was supposedly blowing against that window. So you would think that uh, anything that was projected from the window would have blown behind it, um, certainly not into the plaza down at the street level, where I think, uh, was it Senator y- Yarborough, who was in one of the cars in the procession, um, could smell it? I mean, that to, to say that came from the sixth floor to me de- de- defies reality. Yeah, uh, Defies Reality, that would be a good name for the book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's, uh, where are we? we are part four, I guess. We've gone through here. The acoustics. Well, let, before, before we move on to the next bit, let me just say I included a part in, in, in this review based on the research of Barry Ernest and the girl on the stairs and the Victoria Adams stuff. And I want to give that a shout out because I do think that that's one of the best books that's been written on this case in the last, I don't even know how many years, to be honest. I think that's an absolutely wonderful book. He's a lovely guy. And I think anyone who doesn't have that book should get it. They really should. Because if anyone makes a persuasive circumstantial case for Oswald not being on the sixth floor, then it's Barry Ernest. It's a wonderful book. Very good. So, yeah. Uh, also, I'll, I'll point out as well in this, in, I think it's, what was this, part three we were still looking at. Um, Posner talks about the evidence of, uh, or tries to, to hide all the evidence of a gunman on the grassy knoll. And, uh, you know, one of the things he says, and I think if I remember correctly, Bugliotti says the same thing. They claim that. Uh, the witnesses who were on the overpass couldn't have seen uh, gun smoke coming from behind the grassy knoll because modern, ammuni- modern ammunition doesn't create smoke. Well, anyone can disprove that now. I suppose that was probably, again, easier to get away with in 1993. But all you've got to do now is go on YouTube or Google and just type in gun smoke. And as I did here, included a picture of you know a shot producing a great deal of smoke, you know, and there are all sorts of conditions under which uh, a rifle might, I'm not saying that every time a rifle is fired, it creates smoke. That's simply not true. But there are all sorts of conditions under which smoke can be produced and it's easily visible, you know, to the human eye. So uh, that's another way in which I think technology has undone the claims of case closed because thanks to the internet, you don't need to know anything about firearms to be able to prove that that's nonsense. It's good that you mentioned the book by um, Barry Ernest. Yeah, wonderful book, wonderful book. So, yeah, uh, what was we on? The acoustics, yeah? Right. Yeah, I mean, again, this is another area where I think Posner was able to sort of get away with with a, a debunking, if you like, because the, 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 during, at 1993, that, that evidence had very much fallen out of favor following the, uh, the, the HSEA obviously recommended that the, the Justice Department take up their investigation and they didn't bother. All they did was put a, uh, get a scientific panel put together of uh, supposed experts, none of whom was actually an acoustics expert, which was solely designed just to shoot the acoustics evidence down, you know. And that's exactly what they did. They, you know, they went over the evidence for for something like a year looking for flaws. It might have even been longer than that. Um, 
looking for flaws in the evidence, not really finding anything significant until they found an example of what they claimed was, was crosstalk, which they said, and as Posner repeats, placed the shots a, a minute after the assassination. Well, that debate was reignited in 2001 by Don Thomas in a British forensic journal called Science and Justice. And uh, it, the, I think personally that the, uh, the acoustic evidence has only gotten stronger since then. And uh, the original scientist to look at the acoustics evidence um, had worked with uh, Josiah Thompson on his most recent book in completely debunking the whole crosstalk issue. And there's lots of detail in the review for people to read about that. But it's my opinion that now, in 2023, we can say that that, that, that whole crosstalk argument is just, is just completely out the window now and that the acoustics evidence stands looking as strong, if not stronger, than it ever did. And I, I do think people need to remember, and I'm not saying that um, experts can't be wrong about things, but I do think people need to try to remember that uh, James Barger, who was the original scientist for the HSCA, uh, is a legend in his field. You look into his background and look at all the patents he's got and look at how he's treated by his colleagues and the fact that he came recommended uh, by the Acoustical Society of America because of his credentials and because of, you know, because of his knowledge and his expertise. And uh, that guy is still to this day convinced that they got it right in 1978. And I think I absolutely think that you did. I think that stands today as the best scientific evidence we have of a gunshot fired from the grassy knoll. I have very little doubt about it. And I think anyone who looks at it objectively and looks, most importantly, at how that evidence fits with all the other piece of evidence that we know, you know, such as the, the eyewitnesses who saw a gunman on the or, or or heard gunshots and saw the smoke on the knoll, and the fact that one of the most important witnesses pointed to a very spot, Skinny Holland, ran round the ran round to, to behind the fence to see if there was a shooter there. Got there a couple of minutes after the assassination ended, didn't find anyone because obviously they had plenty of time to get away. But uh, he picked a spot. That very spot falls coincidentally, if you like, uh, right where the acoustics evidence places the gunman, and you know, which is quite remarkable. And uh, I think if you look at that and you look at the way that the acoustics evidence fits so neatly with the Zapruder film and uh, I think fits neatly with what we know about the medical evidence today, I think there's a real sort of bedrock of scientific scientific evidence of Crossfire and Dealey Plaza now. Well, you just don't believe three bullets. I don't. There's no way there's only three (laughs) gunshots and then one of them being magic, you know. I mean, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, and and then uh, it's like it's like a flat Earth thing, you know. Like, no, I'm not even going to entertain that debate, right? Yeah, I, I think that the single bullet theory probably is the most is one of the most ludicrous things that anyone ever dreamed up. Certainly in its entirety, you might take bits of it and say, well, it's possible that uh, for a bullet to pass through two men. Well, of course it is. Um, but then again, when you're given the, the nature or the, the location of the wounds on, on President Kennedy and the fact that the back room was so clearly below the wound in the throat, well, then you've got to figure that, that even that didn't happen. 
you know? There's, and to, to say that a bullet could do everything that C399 was said to have done and somehow emerge looking exactly like bullets that, that have been fired into cotton or into water, and this is said to have smashed two bones and pierced seven layers of skin and flesh, which is tough and resistant on its own. Um, I just think it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And no one bought it in 1964 when the Warren Commission said it happened. And I don't think anyone with any sense buys it today. Well, I certainly don't. I mean, no. I hear stories uh, or, or documents about extra lead being found in the car, the defects in the chrome strip, you know, what bullet hit the windshield, what bullet hit the curb and hit tag. And then, you know, it just they find a bullet in the grass, right? And they dig that up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just, and I guess the next thing is you say uh, you get into the different wounds from here. And I guess that kind of, it's at the end of chapter four and moves into chapter five, uh, you know, commission exhibit 399. How did it do all this? How did it leave all this trail of lead in the brain or in that skull um, and not be missing? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think uh, that that's another area now where we're, we're, we're getting, I think, close to a consensus. A lot of the, the independent experts who've, who've gone and looked at the, uh, the x-rays and uh, the medical materials are going, well, hang on a minute. This, despite what all of these government panels have said, uh, and uh, I remember a little while ago you had Russell Kent on your show talking about his book, uh, Medical Betrayal, which again, magnificent book which i recommend to everyone and he has shown how how these panels were manipulated and uh how one individual uh basically had uh influence over them all because uh, and uh that's why they you know backed it's not i mean realistically speaking it's, it's not hard to figure out why people appointed by the government are going to reach government friendly conclusions right you know they're not going to bite the hand that feeds but uh, nonetheless, uh, Kent's book, I think it goes into in great detail showing the relationships that led these people to, to you know, to carry on the lie. And, uh, yeah, I very much recommend that. And it's, uh, it's now, like I say, we've got more independent experts have had the chance to go to the archives and look at the materials and go, well, this, this isn't right. This doesn't fit what they're saying especially the uh, the location of the fragments in Kennedy's skull which simply couldn't have been left behind by a bullet entering the back of the head low down where um, the autopsy surgeons said it did it just it's just not possible it's, the wound would be completely discontinuous and uh, I, yeah i think we are getting close to a consensus on that now and uh, as i recall uh, Gary Aguilar and uh, and Cyril Wecht were making the same point about 10 years ago in the pages of, of a forensic journal. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, another area that I don't think Posner can get away with his rubbish today because we can point to some much better research. Yeah, get away with it is a good, a good way to say it because he was paid by somebody to write this. You know, he wasn't known in the research community. And then he's paraded around as a historian. And then, as you mentioned, with this other book about Martin Luther King, it's just uh, he should be paraded around as a CIA asset. <laughs> a fraud. Very probably, yeah. Yeah, of a journalist. Definitely a fraud. Definitely a fraud. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think. And, and I, I've been tempted, actually, to, to write a response to 
his Martin Luther King book as well, because um, in many ways I think it's actually worse than than Case Clothes, if that's possible. <laughs> well, good luck with that. I mean, uh, I'd be glad to have you on to help promote that because uh, I, I think it it does need like a level playing field. Like you know, like we talk about John Armstrong, I may or may not agree with conclusions of that, but I, I admire someone's work. But here's the work of Posner. Nobody admires it except for, you know, the flat earthers, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so in the in the final chapter, you kind of go through what we've been talking about, the, these various wounds that couldn't have been done by by uh, by one bullet, uh, Commission mm. Exhibit 399. I mean, it's just... Um, and, you know, the fact that they, they prop that up and, you know people weren't in front of the White House with torches and that, you know, like, they just go, oh, well, I guess they looked into it, and, you know, why would they lie? And I guess it was Lee Oswald. Yeah. Yeah. I just find it insane in this day and age that anyone could buy that theory. And I think uh, people see something like, uh, oh, what is that man's name? Dale Myers, isn't it? Uh, And his little computer animation. They see that and they think, oh, well, look, look, it, it can be done. It's like, well, that's an animation. You know, you could, you could have bullets coming anywhere you like and taking any path you like. That doesn't make it real. And that's why I, in, in this review, uh, made a point of showing what the results of some actual real-life experiments were, you know, that were done for TV shows that were supposed to uphold the, uh, the official narrative, but, like, actually wound up demonstrating how absurd it is you know this the one where they had dummies in Dealey plaza and were using lasers to show the supposed path of the single bullet simply demonstrated that you couldn't have a bullet passing through kennedy unless he was leaning forward in a way that isn't compatible with the zapruder film so if he didn't do it then it didn't happen you know, and it's the same thing with the uh, with the Discovery Channel experiment, where they shot for a couple of torsos, had one hit Kennedy in the upper back, and lo and behold, it didn't exit through the through the throat area; it exited through his chest, exactly where you would expect it to. You know, these real life experiments have, in my opinion, have much more validity than some little cartoon dreamed up by someone who was committed to the to the lone gunman theory before they even put it together right okay well uh looking through your chapter five here or um segment five do you want to just give an overview of that because you start off with just showing the impossibility of uh, the uh single bullet doing that yeah i think we can kind of agree to that but i mean (laughs) latimer's trail of deception i mean yeah these these things as you look into them you say oh they found out they could be done and as you look into it you go no, no, it couldn't be, right? It it just, it is appalling, and it gives you an education for other things, I guess, in life. If you were, one day we'll be investigating 9-11 to say, well, oh, of course the buildings were pre-wired. Building 7 went down on its own? Are you kidding? And then, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the plane hitting the Pentagon, and it's just, uh, but these things happen, and they put out an official story, and they hope you believe the first thing you heard, and then it's hard to unbelieve what you've already can you know considered as a fact. Absolutely, yes. I learned a long time ago the impossibility of changing someone's mind once it's made up. You know, I don't even try anymore. And again, that's another one of the reasons why I stay away from forums because you just end up encountering 
that that stubborn mindset that well i'm right you're wrong and whatever you say to me i'll perform some sort of mental gymnastics to make it fit my worldview you know <laughs> i just i've got no time for that okay so um to give to wrap up i guess uh number five i think from the second half on uh, you're you're giving a conclusion why uh, some of these things just can't be believed, um, you know, from Commission Exhibit 399 on to uh, different Posner uh, trying to explain how uh, how a Carcano could do this kind of, uh, you know, it's a low velocity weapon. It's not. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that the last sort of substantive section of of this of this review is dealing with the neutron activation analysis, which Posner kind of holds up in his book as, as you know, the linchpin of the, of the lone gunman theory and the, you know, Vincent Gwynn's analysis back in the seventies, supposedly demonstrating that all of the fragments only came from two bullets. And, and that was something that was difficult for people to deal with for many years. But again, into, in 2023 is no longer, you know, you, you can't make that argument anymore because neutron activation analysis has now been relegated to, to you know, junk science. We, it's, uh, the FBI had used it for years in, in, also in many different prosecutions. Uh, and it wasn't until a couple of, of the FBI's own scientists began to have grave doubts about it and then began publishing on it that they eventually forced the FBI to, to admit that, uh, it's it's meaningless that it doesn't it doesn't do what they said it did, and in this case, uh, this the these same scientists wrote a paper um, about Vincent Gwynn's analysis and said, you know what, he was wrong, and he was wrong about all of it, and in fact, the evidence is 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 uh, consistent with as as many as five different bullets, and uh, so the the linchpin of of Posner's lone gunman theory has now been completely knocked out. Yeah, and uh, Requiem Mass for Posner, which is just doing an overview of the uh, the failure of Case Closed. Yeah, I mean, I had sort of originally intended to write a little bit more. Um, I was going to write about uh, his treatment of the Garrison investigation and also the way in which he he responds to to the critics in general, the way he misrepresents critical books and arguments. Uh, but after writing like 40,000 words, I figured I'd probably done my bit, and uh, I didn't really want to spend any much any more time on it. Uh, and that this was originally in two parts, but I, I, I gave it to Jim, and he did a bit of creative editing to, to uh, make, it, make it in five parts and make it a bit more digestible. Um, but yeah, after writing as much as I did, I figured oh, I think I've done my part. And if somebody else wants to write about uh, about Posner and, and the way he treats the Garrison investigation, then then uh, I think that'd be a good idea. But I, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, you've done enough. You've done uh, <laughs> your time here, and maybe it'll be onto the Martin Luther King. But uh, very good job. Uh, uh, thank you for writing this, and uh, it's you know. It'll be good for other researchers who are handling people arguing in some of these forums and they don't know where to grasp. They can look at your review just to, to prove the, um, I, you know, I use the word fraud too much, but just, uh, you know, 
the misrepresenting of the facts of the case mm. that Posner does. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. I, I hope that that comes across. You know, when you get into obviously, there's lots of detail. Forty thousand words of it. There's lots of detail, and I hope when people get into it, they can really see for themselves just 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 how dishonest the book is, and it really is from cover to cover. Is I think a fraud is a perfect word. The book the book is a fraud. All right. Uh, thank you, Martin. Um, now, this, these are at kennedysandking.com. Uh, Raul will mm-hmm. make links to them. Uh, is there a website or anything of your own that you would like to promote? That um, where can people find out more about yourself? Uh, well, most of my the my best stuff is, is housed on on Kennedys and King. To be fair, okay, I do sure. have a blog. I have a blog called The Mysteries of Dealey Plaza, but it, I haven't updated it in, in quite a while, to be honest. Probably last year was the last time I put anything on there. But yeah, most of the best stuff is on my is on my Kennedys and King page. Okay, very good. Um, usually I offer uh, guests time to bring up anything. Is there anything that you wanted to uh, bring up or get to that I didn't ask you about already? No, I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a lot. All right, thanks. This is just an overview. We d- we didn't read word for word what the, what the article is, so I urge everybody to go through it themselves. But we've given you an overview. You'll know what to expect now. So uh, thank you so much for your time tonight, then. Thank you for having me on, then. It was a pleasure. Uh, it's pleasure is mine because I just I like to promote good work, um, you know, and 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 there's. <laughs> Sometimes there's a lot of fraudulent work going on, so when somebody does something good, I'm just uh, only too happy to talk about it. All right. Good, good. All right. Thank you very okay. much. Okay. Okay. Good night. Thanks, Len. Bye. Bye.